So welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be looking at the rotating carousel that is quarterbacks in the NFL this season. We're also going to have a quick look at the Rob Ryan firing and uh, a brief chat about the uh, absolute roaring success that was the Bengals in prime time. Uh, then we're going to move on to some of the games from last week, some good, some bad, some in between, some questions from you, the listener, and then we're going to look forward to next week's picks. Okay, so uh, hey guys, uh, you've got myself, Connor, we've got Harry, say hello. Hey man. And we've also got Ronan uh, dialing in from Cork. Say hello, Ronan. Oh, ha, ha, you're so funny. Um, how are we all getting on, lads? Yeah, doing well. Recovered from my heart attack on the weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, Jesus. We'll be talking about that one later. Yeah, we but, will. Uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was a nail-biter for you. Uh, not so much a nail-biter for my guys, but uh, that, was, that was fun in its own way. Well, bad weekend. The Ops, but uh, you know, in other sport-related news, Ireland have qualified for summer football. That's right, boys. We're taking the horse to France. <laughs> Oh, God. So, yes, I suppose we'll kick off with the news this week. There's obviously been one or two bits this week that have spurred this on, but uh, the way it just happens to break out, this Sunday we'll be setting yet another record, and that is this year, uh, on this Sunday, we'll have had 13 teams start multiple quarterbacks for games, which is a truly remarkable number, given that that doesn't even include the likes of the Jets, who are most likely going to end up doing that as well. Like, there's obvious problems with this. I'll come to the boys on it now. I'll just give you a quick list of the teams so far that have had this. And bear in mind, some of these have had to start three quarterbacks as well. We've got the Bills, the Browns, the Broncos, the Colts, the Saints, the 49ers, the Titans, the Steelers, the Rams, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Bears, and the Texans have all had to start multiple quarterbacks this year. And like we said, some of them threefold. I suppose, Harry, we'll kick off with yourself. Uh, what do you make of this? And where do you see the, the biggest harm coming? Uh, yeah, it's it's not great. I mean, it's quarterback is still the most important position in football, and it's always going to have a destabilizing effect when you um, when you can't you know have that continuity week to week. When you've got to like guys who have different strengths, because as much teams try to get backups that fit their systems, as we've seen, particularly in Pittsburgh, that just isn't always going to be the case. A lot of these this year have been due to injuries. Some of them have been coach decisions, and sometimes desperation move uh, coaches' decisions. I think. Obviously, what happened in Houston, where we were switching between Hoyer and Mallet. Now, if Hoyer can't play next week because of his concussion, TJ Yates, a quarterback, is a pretty desperate situation. TJ Yates. Yeah, I know, right? Like, the man who wasn't good enough to be the backup in Atlanta is now uh, <laughs> back in Houston. And, yeah, that's nice. I think already epitomizes this as a move that's been made this week uh, in terms of people who, you know, teams have a me- mediocre quarterback and they're just like, anybody else is the answer. And that's what we're seeing with the Rams in St. Louis, where Case Keenum, is being brought in and Nick Foles is being benched. Without going into the fact that we've seen a wonderful quarterback trade that has helped neither team, Sam Bradford won't be starting next week either. Uh, Case Keenum, this just doesn't make any sense. As like, bad as Foles has been playing, Case Keenum has had several chances in this league to prove himself to be anything close to worthwhile. He's, he's, he's failed repeatedly. He just doesn't have the requisite skill level. He doesn't have the physical ability. He doesn't have the mental ability to play as a quarterback. And he doesn't necessarily even have a better arm or accuracy than falls. So I'm not sure what St. Louis are playing at with that one. And that to me just epitomizes the desperation that teams are hitting and the frustration sort of coming down on the quarterbacks, which, you know, there's other problems with the team. And when your quarterback's the problem, that doesn't mean that anyone else is going to be the solution. 
Yeah, like quite often there's underlying issues of the coaching, the scheme, the way they're trying to make these these quarterbacks play. And you have to presume, especially in these scenarios where it's essentially coach's choice, like there's a reason that these people are the backups rather than the main quarterbacks, is that they're considered less skilled. Roland, a prime example of this is is the Keenum one. But like, is it a scenario that you think coaches can possibly save their seasons? We've seen We've seen scenarios where good young quarterbacks have allowed coaches to keep their tenure for longer than possibly they should, the Colts being an example of this. Is this a scenario where people are saying, my job is gone at the end of the year unless this turns around, and they're just, as, as they would say, spraying and praying? Like, I think it comes down to where a team is kind of in its development. Like A lot of these teams, which have been, for lack of a better term, bottom feeders for a long time, going with that option makes sense, because that's, we're buying into some future story about how the franchise will turn around by hitching our wagon to next big thing. Obviously, Johnny Football will probably be a prime example of that. Basically, that kind of balance that some coaches, if you're with a pre-existing bad team, which hasn't really had much hope at the time, you'll probably get away with going, okay, put in someone else and see if they can do a better job. While with some of the changes, like coaches earlier in the season are likely to want or like bring win now mode. But I think we're reaching that point in the season where some teams realise there is no hope anymore. Uh, once again, this team, so they get away with going, okay, we might as well see what we got here on the bench. That might hold true for some teams, such as St. Louis, but I think that there's something definitely going on there, just like how bad those is, have to have some kind of accountability. Much in the same way that Jim Caldwell tried to show like some responsibility for Matt Stafford when he called them just after halftime when he threw that interception. Coaches need to feel like they're in control of their quarterbacks. That doesn't feel like that often. So one of the only ways that they can control them is to put in their guy or another guy who they know will do everything for them because this is their one shot to like make it make an actual career. Yeah, full on mom spaghetti. Um, <laughs> like which which of these do we think are potential positives? Uh, so for obviously, I think I think the Romo coming back to Dallas is is almost definitely a step up. I'm I'm very interested in Brock Osweiler because I think this could be an interesting change on this offense, an offense that has for the last two weeks at any rate struggled quite a bit. And apart from that one game coming off the bye, for the most part, have looked to struggle a little bit with Peyton Manning under center. Did you guys see much, as we'll be discussing the game later on, did you see much out of Brock Osweiler, the Brock Lobster, the crustacean sensation that made you think maybe this team will be able to turn its turn itself around well, it was hard it was hard to tell in a lot of ways because it was against the Kansas City defense that at that point knew it had won the game yeah was playing pretty conservative just trying not to get anybody hurt and even then Osweiler still managed to throw an interception so <laughs> yeah, that's true like there are problems in Denver on the offense a lot of them have been unfortunately related to Peyton Manning whose decline has just just the season he's just gone off a cliff what we saw a little bit there is it's hard to tell because obviously, you know, he's coming to a game cold, a game that's already lost. Where's the motivation? What, how fired up are people? There is an indication there that the problems may go beyond just how Peyton is playing. And particularly when you've got a guy like Manning who has all this history and legacy behind him, and a guy who is respected on the field and is seen as, it's a cliche, but is seen as a leader and is a leader in terms of how he organizes the offense and does so much of the play calling himself and does so much of the running of that offense. It's a huge ask, even for a guy like Brock Osweiler, who has sat, sat behind him for a few years does know the system very well, does know the scheme, and is probably going to be quite comfortable in it to take on all of those roles. So it's not just a question of losing Manning and a declining Manning, but it's a question of how is Osweiler going to motivate and organise the pieces around him because you lose that when you lose Peyton. That's true. I must say, actually, the guy is a is a 
physical specimen. Did you see him playing? He's massive. He's very big. He's young. what six nine? It's crazy. Like he's six nine two. 45, 250, like he's huge. Um, the other one that I think is an interesting one, because again, offense hasn't been firing on all cylinders, has a bit of a track record of doing well in this system. Like Fitz, what's your thoughts on Sanchez? Do you think he's going to be able to get it rolling for the Philadelphia Eagles? Like, I think there's not like a big drop-off from Bradford to Sanchez, as you might imagine, especially if Bradford. He seemed to be getting a little bit more comfortable as the season went on, but wasn't really, still wasn't really showing franchise quarterback play that you might be expecting from what all the troubles he went through to get him. Like, Sanchez is a good system quarterback. He gets the ball out quickly. He can do the system, but it's like the one thing he has against him is that basically his lack of, lack of better term, clutchness, that he is a quarterback who, when the pressure is on, is prone to having, making a massive mistake and dragging the team down with him. Like, that did happen in the Miami game through an interception at the end of the game to basically kill the chance. Well, at that point, it was a one-score game. Like, that's the problem with Sanchez. Like, you play, like, good quarterbacking for an entire game, but there's always going to be a few moments every game where he'll give turnovers. Turnovers are what kills the team, like in the NFL, where there's, like, those small individual plays can make all the difference over the course of the game. Especially for an Eagles team, which doesn't look like it has the talent and depth that it's a really, like, steamroll team like it might have done in previous years and Chip Kelly supposedly in a bit of scheme. Yeah, fair enough, though, I understand. But yeah, so we've seen a lot of swaps. We might see a few more. There's a strong chance that the Jets are going to have to do it as well. And at that point, all we need is two more teams to start backup quarterbacks. And then we've got half of the league having played two <laughs> quarterbacks at least. One last interesting one is actually Hasselbeck for Luck. Yeah. Like, Luck definitely seems like he's been playing injured this season. So it'll be interesting to see whether, like, a few weeks off, with Hasselbeck hopefully holding the fort as sufficiently, and, you know, the AC side should be sufficient. That when Luck comes back, has a bit of time to recover and actually get himself healthy again, whether he'll be like a real benefit for the Colts. Like, the reasonable assumption that they'll probably still be well in the running uh, come the last few weeks. Yeah, I think that's that's actually quite reasonable. I think it's a good spot for the Colts in, in the sense that having a guy like Matt Hasselbeck, you know, for all his flaws and his lack of arm strength and his age, is, is just a very, very solid kind of backup guy who, as Ronan says, that's exactly what you want, a guy who can just play a simple, calm game isn't you know you know exactly what you're getting with him you're not throwing a random backup in the hope that luck gets better you're saying here's a guy who you know can perform adequately while luck recovers and that's pretty much all you can really hope for a lot of the time from a veteran backup mm. brandon whedon is now being cut uh so he's available for uh for anyone who's really stuck with their quarter with their backup quarterback and really want to roll the dice uh <laughs> i suppose from 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 quarterbacks that are no longer in their starting roles to a uh coordinator that's no longer in a starting role uh rob ryan has been fired from the saints after uh, having kirk cousins to light him up this weekend yeah we've, we've we've been saying on the podcast for the last couple of weeks it's uh it's truly amazing that rob ryan still has a job uh we've hypothesized why he has a job and then had to cut that for legal reasons <laughs> so i suppose I'll, I'll 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 let harry start out on this one so harry the the end of the rob ryan era down there what do you make of this how has it taken this long like it is it's really the thing like the saints defense has not looked good at any point this season it's not only has not only not looked good it's looked actively terrible week in week out and it's mad that you can get like 10 weeks into a season before this happens. Now, I got this, you know, reasons historically, 
He's been successful. He seems to get on quite well with Sean Payton, who probably didn't seem to want to let him go. You can only have so many games where you're de- you get blown out, and not so that your defense looks bad, but your defense just looks embarrassingly bad, completely leaderless, has no idea how to do like the basic coverage and schemes. When the guy who was your big, you know, free agent guy, and a couple of years in a row, because you got Jarius Bird back there as well, yeah. Brandon Brown, your big free agent. This is going to sort of our defensive backfield problems. Guys are playing probably the worst football of their careers, and it's not. You know, at some point, you can't you can't just turn around and be like, "Well, it's just something down in New Orleans." They all just go down there, and I, I don't know. Uh, they they all just drink whiskey and are terrible at football because they're hungover. Like, no, there's clearly something going on with the team, with the way the defense is being run. And when you've got that much money tied up and that many like big leaders in there and it's just nothing is working and there's no there's nobody guiding the younger guys, the younger guys aren't getting better week in, week out. There's no coherence, there's no improvement. Like, you have to go. I kind of hope he lands in Buffalo because the Ryan brothers, oh, come on, like, oh, five-five together. The amazing, no, un- unlikely. I don't think Buffalo want to ruin their defense. I think Rob Ryan will be back at some point, but I think he's going to be let left go for a couple of years to sort of sort himself out because towards the end the defense was just it was it was ugly and he needs to reconsider the schemes he's running and how he's organizing and training his players yeah like there's been there's been talk about the fact that the 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 ownership apparently have been telling him to cut down his defensive playbook to make it simpler changing the scheme that he wants to run and stuff like that which is obviously going to limit him and there is a certain extent to which i believe you can't always blame a coach for players like there were plays that were in the hands of these DBs that they then just gave to like Tennessee wide receivers for the crack. There's a failure at the very basic level of doing your job on, on the part of most of these players. And I do think that it can be it can be something as simple as them being poor or them not taking in the message or not respecting the coach or that. But like I also see that there is an element of this is his job. He's been allowed to pick up players who should fit in what he's doing. Roland, to continue on from what Harry was saying, like, is is this a spot where you you put this entirely on Ryan's head, or is this a spot where you think there Peyton is uh, is trying to trying to scapegoat a guy to get himself out of this? Like, is 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 Rob Ryan a guy who we're going to see back in the NFL in the next year or so? We will see Rob Ryan. He has a reputation, name brand alone. Jerry Jones. Whether whether they'll put him straight into team like a like a DC again, we'll see. But he'll he'll get onto a coaching somewhere. There have been free agent pickups, but ultimately they haven't really worked out. And this like this defense, the above all else, talent isn't really there on that defense anymore. And especially when you don't have the talent and you're having to bring in players who may be a step below. Like Rob Ryan's very complex scheme, generally received to be a very complex scheme, very specialized, isn't what you want. You want a defensive coordinator who can like make things simple, make things streamlined so that Less talented players can pick this up and be effective to some degree. Like continuing to keep pushing on with his way, his way is we'll assume that Rob Ryan is quite an arrogant type of sort, uh, the Ryan dynasty. I'm sure they do call themselves a dynasty. Like effectively he needed to like adjust to what he has and he just doesn't seem to want to do that. And he just doesn't seem like the kind of like coordinator who adjusts to his talent rather than forcing them to do what he wants. That's been the downfall of many coordinators over the years, those who stick to their system and think it's better, think that the you know, manifest destiny of that system can overcome a lack of talent. It's just not true. I think that's just going to be shown up with uh, Rob Ryan. Yeah, no, fair enough. So uh, I suppose... See you next year, probably, Rob. And our final bit, we'll just we'll just briefly touch on this. Uh, finally, we've seen the primetime Bengals once again. 
absolutely disgracefully bad performance against the Houston Texans uh, on, on Monday Night Football. Uh, I didn't actually stay up to watch the game. I watched the quote-unquote highlights of the game, which I presume the NFL named that ironically. Uh, like, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> What's our theories on this? My personal theory is that Andy Dalton, as I said on a previous episode, is a reverse vampire who needs the sun for power and is weak during nighttime. I, I don't even know anymore. Like, there's primetime choking, and then there's, like, putting up six points against this Houston Texans team. Maybe Andy Dalton, building off, he's actually been playing really, really well, really, really well. He's been waiting for the odds to get good enough, and then he just lumped his entire salary on the Texans. That's all I've got at this stage. Yeah, could be, could be. What about yourself, Ronan? Well, I'm just grateful because, like, I think we were all, like, everyone who watched it kind of going, okay, we can't really stick to, like, Andy Dalton, mediocre or worse quarterback for too much longer without looking foolish. Thankfully, this game came along and let us all believe that Andy Dalton is actually as mediocre as we always thought and has always been. That's always nice. Did you hear the theory earlier in the in the week? I can't remember who it was. It was one of the uh, one of the American analysts was saying, and it's obviously before this defeat. But uh, the reason Andy Dalton looked so good this season was because he was booed at an off season softball game, and that made him super duper motivated in a way that I don't know, you know, his entire football career had not. Like JJ Watt made a good choice comment. Oh, I heard about this. The yeah, red rifle or like a BB gun. Yeah, like Andy Dalton was like wah wah wah. Good God, Vidal, this was this was abysmal. Like it was just ter- and like I suppose it was also it's in the same week that the like Green Bay managed to lose to the Lions. This has been a very odd week for games, and I suppose that brings us nicely along to our next section. We're gonna have a look at some of the games from last week. So we've got uh, five games we're gonna discuss this week, two good, two bad, and one sat firmly in the neutral zone. Uh, I suppose we'll start off with the good ones as normal. Uh, this one I'm going to come to Harry on first. New England travelled down to New York to play the Giants in a 27-26 nail-biter. This went right down to the wire and had Harry on the edge of his seat. I remember he was uh, he was messaging me on uh, on Facebook at the time saying he was very close to destroying his laptop. There was a questionable call on a touchdown. There was a near interception in the dying moments. And there was a last-second field goal to claim the win. If there was a game they were going to lose, it looked like it was going to be this one. The Pats looked shaky for the first time, really, this season. Like, Harry, what do you think uh, was, was causing that? Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't know if it's psychological or, or whatever. But um, aside from this game being my trigger, and when I thought Landon Collins had that pick on the final drive, I, I had my laptop above my head. I was going to gronk spike that thing into the ground. Like It was weird because, you know, every other time... And I said this a few times before, when the Patriots have been behind in games, it's always felt like they've been in control. For the first time this season, it really, really didn't. Like, even when, when, when we fell behind, it was shaky. And I don't know what it is about the Giants, whether it's they step up or there is a little something in the back of the Patriots' mind about how all those previous games have gone. It certainly didn't help. Now, we were uh, missing a few pieces, like adapting without Dion Lewis was actually a bit of a struggle. Like, James White and Brandon Bolden didn't look amazing. Losing Edelman halfway through the game was also a bit of a blow, given just the safety blanket role he's played this season. Yeah. And we did manage to adapt to those, but by God, it, it was very, very difficult. And you've got to, you've, got to, you've got to say, like, the Giants, again, they looked really, really up for it. They looked like they this was the game they wanted to win. This was obviously, for them, I think, this could be a turning point in what has been a very, very mediocre season. If yeah. you go out there... 
and you knock off a team that you know you can beat and you have beaten in the past when you weren't expected to, that's going to be a springboard for you. So I think there was an element of that. The pass rush looked like it was significantly improving before. JPP has, despite being down a couple of fingers, has really, really added to that. And he had a, he had a pretty good game. Uh, got himself a sack and all kind, was causing all kinds of problems. In the end, we, we were fortunate. Obviously, there was the call on the touchdown. Whether or not it was the right call, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone knows at this stage. Fortunately for us, it was there was just some poor clock management from the Giants yeah. on their, on the, what turned out to be the penultimate drive of the game that gave us just enough time to move the ball downfield. So that's been actually a little bit of a problem for the Giants. Again, closing out games when they've got time on the clock and just not knowing when to run and not knowing when to pass. But there was flashes of that again from New York. And you've got to wonder who's actually making those decisions. Is it McAdoo? Is it Coughlin? And why are they bad at closing out games? Because to be honest, they could have won this. And if they had won it, like the Patriots have no grounds for complaints. Oh yeah, of course. Like it was very much that that New York just couldn't seem to close out this game. As you said, terrible clock management at the end. I would, I would personally, I would have said that that was a catch in the end zone. I thought it was very, very, uh, very much so that. Um, although I can see where the confusion comes from in that the rule makes no sense. But, uh, but yeah, like there, there, there was an element of like, why did they not try and run the clock down a little bit further? Like, I understand that they're probably slightly wary of calling run plays down near the goal line, given what they did earlier in the season with their terrible clock management there <laughs> and deciding, yeah, sure, just don't score. That seems like the smart move. Uh, but like, yeah, it's like this, this did strike me quite a bit as just being the New York Giants had the upper hand. <laughs> the upper hand and a half um, uh, but they just couldn't seem to close it out like what, why do you think that was? I mean, you take away from the fact that the Pats are very mean like, like there was poor clock management but the Pats still need they still needed to basically make up about uh, 40 yards in like a minute or so and they showed that they were able to do that like I think it was you know like the Giants had the chances they failed them going the risk of like throwing it up nearly worked out for them I think like it's just one of those cases where made some decision came back to haunt you like the Giants should have closed it out and even on the Patriots last drive of nearly an interception like the New England Patriots are a very good team and just managed to ride their luck in this one and the Giants didn't have enough in the end it's just one of those things where I think such fine margins were involved sometimes shit happens yeah, no, of course. But so anyway, even in even at that, and even with it, possibly should have been should have been taken away from them. New England squeak it out uh, in the last second, so they remain undefeated, and they roll on to Buffalo next week. Arizona travel up to Seattle in a statement game of the NFC and beat them up thirty nine. 32. Arizona ran out to a very quick lead in this game and looked to be absolutely dominant. Russell Wilson didn't look fantastic in this game and to be honest hasn't looked great for the last couple of weeks. They've been getting Jimmy Graham involved a little bit more and I think it was Baldwin was it? Uh, Went off quite a bit in this game but I'm not going to lie like Fitz I suppose being a Seattle fan I'll go to you on this one like should Seattle be getting a bit worried now at this point? Winning was against the 49ers, 
is right now. Because obviously they have all the big talented players, they have a talented core of players. But on offense, the offensive line seems to be a problem. Marshall and Lynch has not been healthy. And I think like Marshall and Lynch and Russell Wilson have been incredible together. They feed off each other's strength. And Marshall and Lynch has been hand there. Russell Wilson has regressed because of that lack of Lynch in the backfield with that offensive line that's kind of put together like haphazardly. I think there's just a lot of things going wrong. It's very tough to know. Like it kind of comes down to that same idea of like like when the margins are so small in the NFL, these these small differences make a difference. The other thing is obviously we should be able to defend a tight end seam. Right, but that's just it doesn't <laughs> seem to happen anymore. Like we love, like Jermaine Gresham got the basically the go ahead touchdown on a seam route. Uh, Greg Olson got the winning touchdown in the Panthers game on a seam route. Tyler Eifert like made like one of us on seam route. If there are any NFL head coaches listening to this show right now that are going to be playing the Seattle Seahawks, take note. <laughs> 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 oh god um yeah like it is it is that thing of I, I see them as being significantly weaker than before but as you saw in this game like once they start getting stuff clicking like they went on a roll for a bit to bring this game back into contention they do have the ability to to do things both on offense and defense but they just seem to have been lacking quite a bit of consistency on the other side of the ball i suppose though, this arizona team is now looking very powerful i've i've, I've started calling them the expendables in my own head <laughs> given that they're now on track to have the first quarterback running back and wide receiver all over the age of 30 to produce 4,000, 1,000, and 1,000 yards. Uh, so just like the Expendables, a whole load of old guys putting up much bigger numbers than you'd expect. Where do you see this Arizona team sitting right now? Like, Where, where, where do you see their ceiling as being? They're clearly one of the better teams in the in the NFL. They are probably one of the better teams in the NFC. They might be, and so it's very difficult to say, they might be, talent-wise, perhaps the best team in the NFC. Critical for them going forward. And this is something that they, we saw their O-line struggle earlier in the season. Mikey Upati they got from the San Francisco 49ers, who was immense in stabilizing that O-line going down, is actually a very, very big blow to a team that other than him actually doesn't have a great O-line. Yeah. But uh, we saw him adapt to it earlier in the season. Well, struggling against teams with really, really good bull rush kind of guys like Aaron Donald for the Rams and things like that. But uh, they, cert- they certainly can live with it, but it does make them a worse team. Um, in terms of where their ceiling is, like they're going to the playoffs. So I think that's at this stage, that's yeah. pretty clear. Probably going to get a first round bye at this stage. Yeah. So now it is just a question of how long can the team's health hold up? They rely, are relying on a lot of old guys, like you say. So this is a team I feel that you know is, is a very motivated team. And again, I know that's kind of an airy-fairy thing to say, but genuinely you can see this. Is a, these are guys who know this might be their last chance of glory. Of course, yeah. And that's playing a big aspect for them. So if they can keep that going, you know, they have they've a good shot of making the Super Bowl. I think that's definitely the ceiling. Could they win the Super Bowl? It depends who they're playing against. Like, could they win it against, against if, it's, if it's New England or something like that? It will be difficult. But if, you know, if somebody else gets through the playoffs, say, heaven forbid that the... Bengals discover how to play in pressure games, <laughs> or um, Denver hobble through and get 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 the, get themselves together towards the end of the season. That's certainly a game you could see them winning. So yeah, I think you know for them it's about keeping keeping it healthy, keeping it organized, and in that case, yeah, the 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 sky's the limit. For mm. on the same on the other side of that coin, there just briefly, Seattle, I think although their playoff chances are slim, have one big thing going for them. That's really if they can just be better than the Falcons and the Bears. They've got a pretty good chance, and I, you know, I can see them doing that very easily. Um, but yeah, so Seattle in a very tough loss uh, for their kind of hopes with the NFC. But like I said, not dead at all. And the Arizona Cardinals streaming forward towards the first round bye. 
So we're going to move into the neutral zone now, games which were neither good nor bad or both bad and good at the same time. Uh, for this one, we're going to have a look at Kansas City at Denver, a 29-13 romper stomper of a game. I say romper stomper because I'm a Chiefs homer. Uh, it was terrible from the perspective of Denver fans. Impressive defensive performance, to say the least, from the Chiefs. Uh, Peyton got his uh, all-time passing record. Uh, what I thought was quite funny is he was four yards away from the record. So he just needed to make a small completion. And on his first pass, he was picked off. Uh, so he had to wait until his second drive to get the four yards needed for it. And then had to wait until the third quarter to get benched, having only received roughly 30 more yards in the entire game. Brock Lobster came in and looked uh, entertaining. Huge guy. I can see why they wanted to hold on to him as a project. But um, all in all, this was just this was just defense, defense, defense. Five interceptions from the Chiefs' defense. Peters looking fantastic as a first year again. Good pressure on the quarterbacks and everything. Offense looked significantly less good in my mind. Although that said, for the first four or five drives, they looked strong, and then they just went into very, very conservative mode. Given that they were getting, I believe the average starting field position for them was at the halfway line, while the average starting position for the Broncos was on their own 12-yard line, uh, which kind of says a lot about that. I suppose it was kind of slightly one-sided, but like, uh, did you guys uh, see much of this game? Yeah, I did. I, I saw I saw pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. It was um, just the Kansas City defense looked ruthless. The game stayed wobbly. They were extremely wobbly Denver offense. The Denver, like, I mean, you say, you know, Kansas City's offense sputtered a bit, but in fairness, even with the pieces they were missing, that's still quite a good Denver defense. So you wouldn't yeah. take too much away from it, especially considering the uh, lack of Jamal Charles and the Kansas City are still trying to go without their best defensive player. Fun fact, though, on the Manning thing, it's not just that he had to wait until the second drive. Last week, he had a chance to break the record yeah. as well and threw a pick instead. Yeah. So he needed three yards and he threw two picks in the inter- inter- intervening period. It was, it was a really sad performance. He had 1.8 yards per attempt oh, is my favourite fact. Around that. That's that's like a couple of weeks ago I postulated that him and Blaine Gabbard had had some kind of brain-body swap. <laughs> I like Looking at Manning's numbers from that game, I, I've got a feeling about that one. Maybe that is Blaine Gabbard's brain with Peyton Manning's <laughs> physical limitations. <laughs> Can you imagine? But, but uh, I think I think it says it all about this game that I was I, obviously as a chief said I was watching this game rather than Red Zone at the time. And for the last five minutes, CBS said, "Well, I think that's enough of that. We're going to swap to a game that's actually competitive." And literally turned the game off. They swapped <laughs> game. I couldn't find a stream of the last five minutes of it anywhere. Obviously, thoughts on Denver here, Ronan. Like two weeks in a row now, they've looked poor. We've seen a lot of kind of lack of discipline from their defense. Uh, like, not only do we have players missing from altercations last week, we also have a player who was ejected from the game for jumping on and punching a player after another Chiefs touchdown went in just because he was pissed off. Are we worried about Denver moving forward? Like, I don't think in terms of maybe making the playoffs, I think that's a lock. But going forward into the playoffs? Like, I think it really it will go down
Like, they're two differing styles, and in the end, they were generally ended up basically going up with Manning. So, but if Osweiler can get into that play-action type thing, and they can get their run game going, because they do have the talent of running back, if Brock Osweiler could be the better pick, it could be a better fit for what Broncos need right now, in terms of, like, relying on their stifling defense, and having a quarterback who is conservative, willing to pass the ball off, who, you know, doesn't have the ego of Peyton Manning, where the whole thing has to be centered around him. Yeah, like this is a question I was uh, I was actually mentioning uh, before we came on air. This is a this is an offense that for the first couple of weeks was struggling quite a bit with Peyton Manning under center. They came off a bye week and they had one good game where he looked like the old Peyton Manning, and now they've had two games in a row where it's been absolutely abysmal, and he's now injured with a with a foot injury. How well does Brock Osweiler have to play to be able to take this job off him, given that we haven't seen a particularly successful version of Peyton Manning all season? Yeah. Demarius Thomas has looked bad, but kind of easy to look bad when Peyton Manning can't like show up to any kind of real pace. Like you have players like Sanders, like they do have the pieces in offense to be good. But I don't think I think if he's like the starter average, he should be good enough that they might be like we're more comfortable doing this rather than having to compensate for Manning deficiencies both from a physical and from his kind of overwhelming desire to have things of the Peyton Manning way. I disagree. And I, I disagree quite strongly with that. If you play league starter average, that's fine and all. And that will do you to hold down the fort. And that's probably what Denver can really hope for in this situation. Peyton Manning is still Peyton Manning, even playing badly. There's a reason Peyton Manning wasn't benched this season until he could literally play no more because of his foot. Like, even on that coming off the bye week game where Manning looked good, he still threw for no touchdowns and one interception. Since the start of the season, the talk has been about Peyton Manning looking subpar. I, you know, I don't think it's a case of like, oh, this guy's decent, we'll do it. Because the thing is, particularly even if, you know, if Brock Osweiler plays even well for two games and then you don't bring back Manning and then Osweiler stinks up the third game or the fourth game, there is hell to pay. Because Peyton Manning is one of the best quarterbacks of all time and he will be remembered as one of the quarterbacks of all time. He is a future Hall of Famer. So Brock Osweiler, I think, has to play exceptionally well uh, sorry, to avoid being benched again because it's, it's, despite Manning's poor play, it's a big gamble to say, no, we're not going to play him. Especially when you're like, well, he's had time to recover. He's back to full health. You want to know what a healthy Manning can do. And if you're the team that doesn't find out what a potentially fully healthy Peyton Manning can do, and then you lose, that's on the coach's head. And that's, I think, probably too big a risk for Kubiak, who we've already seen is willing to compromise with Manning when it came down to, are we going to do the play action versus are we going to do the shotgun thing? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I don't think it's as easy for Brock as you do. Yeah, like, I'm I'm kind of in between the two of these, because I think... I think he doesn't have to play phenomenally to be able to hold on to this. I think the type of injury that Manning has is the type of injury that doesn't have a fixed recovery period. It's the same one as Antonio Gates had, I think, a year or two ago. I think it's the kind of thing that if Brock Osweiler is playing well, they can keep playing up the fact that they want to keep him rested and they want to get him right for it. The thing to bear in mind is, as much as we're talking Peyton Manning is a Hall of Famer, and he is, no doubt, he's an excellent quarterback, he's not an excellent quarterback anymore. And this is a team that knows that after this season, Brock Osweiler is going to be their starter. They want to be able to bet him in if he's playing well they don't want to be like we'll take him out have Manning lose a game I think it'll be a scenario that if he plays to a decent level like not a phenomenal level but a decent level they'll say let's keep Peyton protected let's keep him recovering we're going to make the playoffs anyway and then if he manages to get them into the playoffs and is looking well I think 
think there's there's no doubt that Peyton Manning will see the field again. But yeah, like I think I think it'll be interesting to see how Brock Osweiler plays. I think it'll be interesting to see how this team deals with Peyton's injury and the potential question mark at quarterback. I would be sad to see this be the end of Peyton Manning, but there's also a little bit of me that be like, yeah, the Chiefs D ended his career. But yes, we're going to move on to some of the uh, some of the dumpster fireside chats now, uh, just to look at two of the games that did not really set our <laughs> set our minds or our hearts on fire. So to start, we're going to go to uh, Detroit going down to Green Bay and handing them yet another loss, eighteen to sixteen. Green Bay are on the slide and have just lost to the worst team in football. Eddie Lacy's not working out. James Darks looks very mediocre. The question is, how in the living fuck has this happened? Like, the Lions are terrible. The Chiefs kicked the shit out of them. Maybe it's a bi-week bump. They've changed some stuff up or something. But, like, this is an abysmal team playing Green Bay, who are most people's picks for the top seed in the NFC. Ronan, you're an NFC head. What the fuck is going on here? Really hard to underestimate how and how much, not necessarily full injuries, but like loss of form affect them. Like the late Lacey, like the but the difference between the Packers last season when they were looking incredibly effective versus the Packers who kind of had been like a little bit below, like a little bit below their like kind of Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl level type of performance in the run game. Eddie Lacey, like Lacey, was providing balance to that offense and letting Aaron Rodgers go wild. Now that Eddie Lacey is back, might as well be Antonio Andrews. It's like basically means Air Rodgers is once again having to rely on kind of his improvisational skills, and he's having to do that without his first weapon, like the weapon that he like most, which is Jordy Nelson, the one who is the most reliable player. Like Randall Cobb is now their wide receiver number one, but Randall Cobb doesn't really excel in that role. He's the type of player you want to be getting into open space. We want to be basically a wild card that they can't account for, but when he's the only player you need to account for, a lot of his strengths are undermined. Like, if you look at the names of the players that Aaron Rodgers showed, Perillo, Aparidus, Ab- I can't even pronounce it, Aparidurus, whatever. <laughs> uh, like, these are nobody. Like, Aaron Rodgers is good, but he isn't good enough to overcome a complete lack of a run game, a complete lack of wider, like, wide receiver depth. And, like, the offensive line and the defense have never been, I mean, considering the talent around them, but I think it's just injuries Yeah, no, of course. And, like, even with that, they were incredibly close up to the very end in this game. Like, Well, yeah, the, li- the Lions are bad. And I, like, I mean, I think there's much more to say. Phew, I that. thought I was going crazy. Yeah, the Lions are, are exactly what the Lions were. What I think Fizzle is pretty much on the money in terms of what's happened to Green Bay. I don't even, at this stage, I don't know if I'd even compare Eddie Lacy to Antonio Andrews because at least Antonio Andrews, like, he can take, you know, he can carry the ball 15 times without needing to take a break to eat some cronuts. Like, it's pretty <laughs> grim up there. And James Aberderis. Like, he still thinks it's 1994. He has had his entire high school and college career concussed out of his head at this point. So it's pretty desperate up there. The big thing that Fizzle tagged, but I don't think really focused on it much, is that the Green Bay O-line has been really, really bad. And it's not just a lack of a run game, lack of people to throw to, because, you know, it's a difficult situation for a quarterback, but they can still function in those. But if you're not getting enough time in the pocket for worse receivers to get open, if there's no real capacity for deception or to establish a strong ground game, you need an O-line that can protect your quarterback and give him time to read. And the amount of times this is why Aaron Rodgers having to roll out, run away from pressure, basically cut his options down to half the field because the O-line couldn't maintain the pocket was huge. And fair play to Detroit for exploiting that to a large extent, for being able to bring the rush and like sort of contain Green Bay, who had several chances to win that game. Yeah. Uh, even still, as you said. Yeah. 
All right, just because I'll get hell off the Lions fans online if I don't say this, a one-word answer is completely fine. Are the Lions turning a corner? I say no. <laughs> no. It's turning a corner into another dead end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go, Lions fans. That's the coverage of your play. Uh, aside from, isn't it hilarious that Megatron can't, like, he catches and then drops the onside kick that then allows Green Bay to have a chance to win the bloody game. And then I think, in all honesty, that was the worst field goal attempt I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Him and Prater were pretty happy when that basic uh, cross shanked his like, field goal. Yeah. Considering that Prater had missed two one-point conversions. Yeah. It says, it says a lot about this game. We can say it was marred in terrible kicking play. Need <laughs> your um, special team. So yeah, basically this was a terrible game. Green Bay played very badly. Detroit also played badly, but slightly... Actually, I'm not even going to say slightly less badly. They got fucking lucky and everything. But yeah, that was, that was awful. Uh, and Green Bay really need to get their shit together if they want anything to happen out of this season. Uh, the final game we're going to have a look at in the Dumpster Fireside Chats is uh, a game that I did not see very much of. Uh, and I would say, thankfully, Dallas at Tampa Bay, a 6-10 to 10 stormer. <laughs> Thing uh, that happened. It sounds and looks awful from what I've seen of it. Harry, do you want to give us a quick rundown of what happened in this game? <laughs> you didn't miss much, like. No, it was it was bad. Neither team could complete passes. Neither team could run the football. I suppose the bright-ish spot was that Juan Alexander looked good again, I guess, even if he did drop an easy interception. He made some tackles and things. No, the highlight of that game for me was uh, Jameis Winston's amazing fumble. Where, like, I thought he'd done the McCown thing where he got up, got hit, helicopters and dropped the ball. But no, he jumped up, dropped the ball and then got wiped out anyway. Um, and trying to hold it with his, like, elbow. <laughs> it was really dumb and they were very lucky to get away with that being, uh, play being called back. Because yeah. that, was, that, was that was a penalty on the Dallas defense, it was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. They were very fortunate with that. But it was, like, I didn't see, like, I didn't see anything to like in this one, really. It was, Dallas are in complete disarray. There was... Like Greg Hardy was kicking off on the sidelines again. Hey, he, he missed another practice this week as well. Oh, did he? Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Like, just get rid of him. Like, this is karma, Dallas. This is karma. This is what you get. What but, was it you said, Fitz? Matt Castle is the arbiter of karma. I said, yeah. Now it's coming back on the coming back onto the Cowboys. But uh, yeah, just, you see, like Castle is, you know, he's not great. But seeing him just that off the page with his receivers was disturbing. Like clearly, they have no faith in him. And for Dallas, Tony Romo can't come back quick enough. The Tampa Bay, like I, I don't know, they're just their offense is just not that good. That's it. Fitz, like, was there any bright spots in this for for Tampa apart from obviously getting the cheeky win? But like, anything good out of this game for them? Well, I think, well, like, you know, like last play, like James Winston made a complete game, easily lost the game for them. But on the very, on the very next play, like a designed quarterback run, and he gets to the touchdown. That's gonna be good for James Winston. That's gonna continue the narrative that this is a team which has hope. But like. They, they continue, like, they're four or five. Basically, what the Tampa Bay Bucks wanted this season was this hope, and games like this was given to them. And, James, like, Jameis Winston, like, even if he makes a terrible mistake, and was terrible in this game, but he manages to win in the end, and that's the kind of thing you want to see to kind of just, like, get the fan base going. Yeah, like obviously the, the positive for, for Dallas is twofold. One, they have Romo coming back next week. And two, they've cut Brandon Whedon. So the average age of the team has gone down six <laughs> years. The, the, the one bright spot out of this entire thing I saw, and it's nothing to do with the game itself. Did any of you guys happen to catch Jameis Winston's speech in the locker room after the game? 
God. It is phenomenal. He's in the there trying to get everyone pumped up, screaming at what a massive win it was and how on the back of this game, they're going to go 7-0 and and straight into the playoffs. Straight into the playoffs. After a 6-10 win over Dallas in a game where you shouldn't have won because you dropped the ball. To be fair, to be fair, the last time we saw Jameis Winston get up and get up and give an inspiring speech. He jumped up on a table and yelled, fucker right in the pussy. So he's learning. Okay, it is It is definitely a step in the right direction, I suppose. But yeah, the only other thing as well is that like, even with Romo coming back, is there any is there any way for these Cowboys to do anything with the season or is it completely lost now? NFC East, there's a chance. Not a good one, but there's certainly a chance because the other teams are kind of bad. Yeah, that's true. I've never heard anything said in the same way as this is Sparta, but with the exact opposite meaning. (laughs) This is the NFC East. So we're going to swing over to some questions from the listeners now. So we've got a couple of questions in. Uh, We've got most of them dealt with in stuff so far. Uh, We're going to go with one big question that came in from uh, Michael, and that is a question about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It says, Pittsburgh... With Ben injured all the time, and obviously twice this season, uh, what's the future of Pittsburgh's QBs? Who are they going to get to run as a backup for the rest of the season? And in the draft, are they going to go after the next big quarterback for themselves? Or how do you see that playing out? So I suppose it's an interesting question. There's a couple of different elements to this. Um, so as we'll start with the obvious one. Pittsburgh need to get a backup now for the rest of the season, especially with as, we, as was mentioned, the, the, the injuries to Ben Roethlisberger throughout the season. But the trade window is closed, and most of the good quarterbacks are gone. I think we're down to the absolute dregs and the potentially dragging out of retirements. So, Harry, who do you think the most likely uh, the most likely temporary backup is going to be for this team? Uh, yeah, looking at who's out there, it's really, really grim. Probably the best guy you're going to get is, and this is not good, is probably Jason Campbell. Yeah. Like he's a guy who's been you know sort of perennially around in backup roles for the most part of his career, but the last few times you've seen him play has been pretty sad. But you look beyond that and you're like, well, who have you got? You've got Brandon Whedon, I guess. Uh, nobody signed Tebow. It's it like there's a, there's a few other names we were looking at this earlier on the list. There were some we never even people we never even heard of on that. Oh, Christian Ponder. Yeah, he's Christian still not available. No. Your, your choice really is you, you either bring in Ponder or you bring in. Uh, you bring in Campbell or you go sniffing around the practice squads and look for, see if there's like a project guy in there. But it, it is pretty pretty desperate for them. Yeah. And if if it does come down to it where Rothsburg gets hurt again, like chances are, you know, they might have to roll that whole Heath Miller thing we were hearing about uh, during the game last week. Yeah, Jesus. Or this week. So yeah, you know, it, it, it is there. They've left themselves in kind of a really awkward situation. They have been unlucky. I mean, they've lost three backup QBs this season, which you really can't, just can't account for. Like losing all your backups basically after the trade window is closed because Vic, and Jones both got hurt after that. That's just a big, big problem for them. I, to be honest, can't see too much options beyond those uh, myself. Bring uh, back Jamarcus. Yeah, Jamarcus Russell. You can bring back the hefty lefty. Six cannon. <laughs> see, that's an option that I was thinking. Is 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 Rex Grossman the best shout? I, I, I'm sure their uh, hope is that he won't have to play. Actual team, the recent past, and actually played in an actual NFL game. 
I was just wondering, actually, as an aside, Locke is out at the moment, and they expect he'll be somewhere between two and six weeks. They've signed Clipboard Jesus to be their backup. Presumably, when Locke's back, they don't want to be carrying three quarterbacks, and they might release him at that point. But like, I don't think he really... You can't really afford to, 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 to let it run with just Roethlisberger and Heath Miller as your, as, your, as your options, I suppose. So, yeah, like it's going, to be, it's going to be somewhat terrible, and they're going to have to hope to Christ that Ben manages to stay upright uh, for the rest of the season. But I suppose, yeah, like given that the trade deadline is now gone and everything, um, they're not going to be able to get their, their future backup or their, their, their chance. Is it a scenario where you think they're going to run with Landry Jones as that backup? They were happy with what they saw with him. Are they going to look at people who will be coming free next year or possibly even looking to pick up a, a prospect in the draft? I know they have another uh, backup quarterback who was injured in preseason. Yeah, Gronkowski. Gronkowski is also old as balls, so that's probably not, not going to be a solution there, although he's a perfectly serviceable journeyman backup type guy. It's interesting about the draft because it's a relatively, at this stage, I mean, it looks to be a relatively quarterback rich draft. Isn't there's a lot of like interesting guys and guys with yeah. potential, although perhaps not that many who you would expect to step in. But obviously Pittsburgh don't want somebody to step in immediately. They still reckon they can get a good few years out of Roethlisberger. And if mm. he can stop hurting himself, uh, then they probably can. But uh, yeah, it does leave Pittsburgh's draft strategy open. And it's quite interesting because I think whether or not they make the playoffs is then going to be a big factor in where they have the position. And I don't know if this is necessarily going to be the stage where they want to give up a first-round pick, given how bad their defences looked, particularly in the backfield. That's probably their immediate priority in terms of first-rounders. Yeah, see, that was my question I was going to ask you now, Ronan. Given that we're looking at what they might be doing in the draft, where do you see their biggest needs being? Because like, obviously, backup quarterback might be might be a pressing need, but there's probably other positions that they need to focus on as well. Like, Where would you see them going? Yeah, like I think I agree with Harry. They've done a decent job of reconstructing roster on most places on the team, but like, they haven't really replaced most of those uh, veteran pieces that they had in the backfield. Like, obviously, people like Paul Volume, et cetera, et cetera. They kind of made up that core of that uh, secondary for, for a while. But they are starting to put pieces in there, but there's probably a need. Obviously, Big Ben has had, they probably expect him to have had, like, a fair few games. He is, like, he, he picks up a lot of niggling injuries. He, does, he is a quarterback that you know is willing to play through. So if he can play, he will play. I think what they'll continue to do is just draft players into kind of maybe at most second, like fifth round, pick up a quarterback in there, see what you've got. That's basically what Landry Jones is right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up someone else in that kind of area in the draft again and they make those two compete. And if that isn't really working out, they might bring in another veteran. Like, it's so rare to replace a franchise quarterback seamless. I think they're just going to kind of do what other teams kind of just do all the time. They'll draft people, they'll get people, they'll hope that. When the time comes, uh, they won't have to go through like, a, a terrible Colts-like season to pick up a number one draft. Yeah, no, of course. So basically, if Big Ben goes down, they're screwed because their best option is Sex Cannon, and they'll probably need to pick up a new quarterback next year. So we'd say that's probably what's going to happen with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for the rest of this year and moving into next year at the quarterback position. Now, on to the picks for next week. So we've got uh, five picks that we disagree on this week, and... Uh, quite a few that we're in consensus on. Uh, so what we'll do, as always, is we'll fly through the consensus picks. I'll come to you guys, just one or two lines, Max, as to why you've picked them. So uh, the first one is actually one that I thought we'd get some disagreement on. Uh, Jackson, uh, Tennessee traveled down to Jacksonville. We've all taken Jacksonville. Harry, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun game, actually. I think Tennessee look really fired up, Mariota back, but right now their defense is still a bit of a mess, and Jacksonville have a very, very explosive offense playing at home. 
I just think Blake Bortles is going to throw all over them. Fair enough. Uh, the Washington Pale Faces go down to take on the Carolina Panthers. Uh, we've all taken the Carolina Panthers in this game. Why is that, Ronan? Well, you know, like Kirk Cousins has shown some skills. Some, like I've shown fights, but they haven't shown an ability to defend. Carolina have shown a very good ability to defend. So I think on balance, that probably Carolina should be able to run through. That's true. And Cam Newton is dreamy. Uh, Oakland take on Detroit. Uh, we've all taken Oakland in this game. I think basically... Young, exciting team. We all think they're quite good. Detroit are a bag of shit. End of. Uh, New York Jets travel to take on the Houston Texans. We've all taken the Jets. Harry? Yeah, nice win for... Well, no. Horrific win for Houston this week. (laughs) But it was a horrific win. And I just don't... Like, the Jets are wobbling a bit, but I just don't see them shitting the bed against Houston, which is what you need to do to lose to Houston right now. Fair enough. Uh, Tampa Bay travel down to Philadelphia. We've all... Well, sorry. Two of us have taken Philadelphia... And Harry has submitted a frowny face. Do I really have to pick this game? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I suppose it has to be Philadelphia. Why do you make me do this? Uh, Ronan, why do we all, <laughs> after some coercion, take Philadelphia? Tampa Bay are not a good team. Philadelphia are an average team. So I think like, Philadelphia should have enough to take it. I like, take this through. But I, like, I wouldn't be completely surprised if Tampa Bay friskiest, you might say. But talent, talent is problematic. That's true. And we'll also, it will become a slightly more even game on the basis of the quarterback swaps as well, I think. Next game, Kansas City travel to San Diego to take on a divisional rival. We've all taken Kansas City. I think just defense is looking exceptionally good at the moment. San Diego are looking weak as hell at the moment. They're missing too many pieces, as we've said continuously on this. They've got a great starting 22, except they don't have 22 of them on the field. Uh, the next game we're going to is San Francisco heading down to the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to head to Ronan for this one because they're his boys. Lane Gabbard put up okay against Atlanta, but we're all coming to Atlanta. Maybe not ours, but just we might have expected. And the Seahawks have, like, the Seahawks put San Francisco We'd expect them at home to have enough to take on a team, which his defense is actually probably underrated, but it's all fenced off. Fair enough, fair enough. Got Buffalo travelling down to New England to take on the undefeated Patriots. Harry, these are your boys. Why do you love them so much? Because Tom Brady is beautiful. No, uh, look, it's Buffalo are not great. We are pretty great. Rex Ryan loses to us most of the time. I, I don't see where Buffalo beats. Similar to the when we played them before, I don't see what's going to be different about this Buffalo team. The Buffalo team we already beat earlier in the season. True, and you've also got the home field this time as well. Uh, and then the final game we're all in agreement on, Cincinnati travelling down to Arizona in a battle of the gingers. Uh, we've all taken Arizona in this game. Uh, basic rationale, old ginger is better than young ginger. Arizona looked great. Cincinnati also looked very good, but showed weakness this week, and it's another primetime game. It's time to make it two out of three, Dalton. Show your true colours. So we're going to move on to our contested picks now. So the first one up is St. Louis heading down to Baltimore to take on the might of the Ravens. Myself and Fitz uh, for St. Louis, and Harry is taking on Baltimore. I suppose to start with Fitz, why St. Louis? Mainly because even though I think Baltimore, they are finding ways beyond all reasons to do the games right now. That should be sufficient. Like, and St. Louis should be sufficiently not really wanting to do the games. Like, Baltimore just somehow managed to do every game show. Can't win games this season. Harry? You know, Fitz has got a point about Baltimore, but we're talking about the team that finds inexplicable ways to lose games. I just, I'm pretty much just giving up on St. Louis games at this point, and I'm just picking them at random. But no, no, to, to be serious, right? Baltimore's problem, well, one of Baltimore's big problems has been 
just an inept defense. St. Louis's offense is not going to be able to throw all over Baltimore like everybody else seems to do. Like Case Keenum is the quarterback. They have no wide receivers. Jared Cook is a mediocre at-best tight end. And yes, they've got a good running game, but Baltimore probably better against the run than they are against the pass. St. Louis's defense has just been disappointing in the last few weeks for a team with so much talent. And, you know, if Jay Cutler can go off like he did, I don't see why Baltimore can't just copy that template and find the room to beat the Rams. I'm not delighted about picking Baltimore, but I just, I just have my faith in the Rams has just gone to absolute zero at this point. Oh yeah, like I would say this is going to be the kind of game that is only worth watching to see Todd Gurley. I think it's going to be boring as hell. I think it's not going to be particularly high scoring. Uh, Watch, as I say this, that it now ends up being like 46 to 49. But yeah, like I think St. Louis have Todd Gurley. I think Nick Foles was a weak spot on them. And even if Case Keenum is terrible, he'll just be the same. I think Baltimore are weak all over the shop. I don't think their run defense is going to be up to much. And I think they're going to lose, but not by too much. Uh, the next game we're looking at is Denver going down to take on Chi-Town, the Bears. Zarly, we have a split on this game. Uh, I've taken Denver, Fitz has taken Denver, and Harry has taken the Chicago Bears. Uh, I suppose I'll start on this. Denver have all their defensive pieces back in place. Yeah, that'll do. Harry? <laughs> I, I don't know why I did this. <laughs> I just wanted to pick against Denver for once this year. Uh, no, like this is interesting because we're actually, I think we've been seeing the Bears get their act together a bit over the last few weeks. And while they're still not a very good team, they're up against the Denver team. We just don't know how, how they're going to play. We don't know how they're going to look. We don't know how organized they're going to be, particularly on offense. Whereas Chicago has sort of been finding what works for them. And while Denver's defense is certainly good, with, you know, Chicago now being able to operate a lot more with these dual tight end sets with uh, Jeremy Langford, who's stepped into the Matt Forte role fantastically, both in terms of his running, but also his pass catching ability, has been has shown that he, he is going to be like the natural replacement there. So I'm basically the reason I'm calling this one is, is my faith in Adam Gase's offensive system to do the simple things right, like they did against the Rams, like we've seen Chicago do when they have very occasionally played well this season, and a system they're getting more comfortable into, versus the Denver team that we just don't know what they're going to be. Fair enough. I reckon the crustacean sensation throws four touchdowns in this game. Brock Lobster for the win. Uh, Fitz? Chicago are performing a full, which you might have expected, and Denver are starting to most of perform, but you just think that the talent is hard, difficult enough, especially on defense, Denver should be able to Next game we're looking at is Indianapolis traveling to Atlanta. I've taken Atlanta. Fitz has taken Atlanta. And Harry has taken Indianapolis. Uh, Fitz, why Atlanta? Yeah, it was, it was a tough call for myself as well. Uh, the reason I went with Indianapolis is I think we're seeing that Atlanta are this year legitimately a bad team. We've seen, and this is something we flagged weeks ago on the podcast, we've seen teams cottoning on to how they play offense, and we've seen them having no plan B in those instances. Other than Julio Jones, they don't have a huge amount of 
offensive weapons, particularly as teams are now able to have been shown themselves to be able to take away Devonta Freeman over the last few weeks in a way they couldn't deal with him at the start of the season. Indy's defense looked uh, a lot better against Denver, which I think is the critical thing for me. And Hasselbeck, as I said earlier, is he's just a solid guy who'll do the simple things right and give your like he'll keep the team in the game and give them a chance to win. And I think Atlanta are bad enough, and also a team that doesn't seem to step it up a huge amount at home, that I think Indy will just be more competent than them, and Atlanta will find a way to dirt this game away. Yeah, like my, my concern about picking Atlanta was the fact that Indianapolis, especially in their like back seven, have looked a lot better in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they seem to actually be able to cover receivers and stuff again. But I do think Atlanta do have talent on offense. I think they're very, very schizophrenic on whether or not they're going to turn up for a game. I think Indianapolis are weak against the run by comparison to how their back half plays. So I think Devonta Freeman might be able to get some, some stuff going. I do think that their offense will be able to step up here and, and put in a good performance. I'm not certain as to how good their defense is going to be against even Matt Hasselbeck. But I think I think what we're going to end up seeing here is a high-scoring game with mistakes made on all sides. But I think... Similar to Fitz, the home team is going to shade it in a game that I think is very close. Uh, the next game we're looking at is Dallas at Miami. I've taken Dallas. Fitz has taken Miami for some reason. And Harry has also taken Dallas. Harry, I suppose. Why Dallas? Miami look bad. I think we saw they had a bit of a false dawn earlier. and uh, They've cons- pretty consistently struggled uh, to do things well. Dallas, I think for me, the big difference is getting Tony Romo back. Even if he's got a little bit of rust or something like that. The lack of faith that team had in its quarterback situation beyond that, and you can see it in the players, I think that's going to melt away, and I think it's going to give them a big, big bump. In the same way you saw Mariota came back to Tennessee, you can see everyone was just grateful to play with a quarterback and knew how to throw the, throw the football and raise their game accordingly. The same thing's going to happen in Dallas. You're going to see Des Bryant is going to be an awful lot happier. They're going to, with Tony Romo then being able to do that, the run game is going to be able to get going again and basically do some damage, and I just think Miami has got not that much to offer at this point. I think what we're looking at here is one of the best offensive lines in the game, finally with a quarterback behind it that can throw the ball, which will then give rise to play-action passes to actually not having eight-man boxes to stop the run game, which I think is going to be a massive factor. I think the Des Bryant connection is going to be quite good in this because I don't think Miami have a particularly strong uh, strong defense. And I think the main way that Miami's been able to get success is by getting a pass rush going. With the loss of Wake, they're not getting anywhere near that uh, as they did beforehand. And to be honest, I just don't have very much faith whatsoever in Ryan Tannehill at this point. So that's why I'm going to go with Dallas. Uh, Also, Dallas need to win because they need to win out to actually be in any way competitive for a spot this season. So, And our final game, which is a hard one for me to pick, I'm not going to lie. For most of today and yesterday, it just had question mark, question mark, question mark uh, in my slot. Green Bay traveled to Minnesota for a game that has a very, very large impact in that division. I've taken Green Bay. Fitz has taken Minnesota and Harry has taken Minnesota. We tried every excuse for Green Bay at this stage, you know, be like, oh, you know, split, oh, they'll come back. Oh, they know they need to beat the Panthers. Okay, they didn't beat the Panthers. Okay, we know they need to beat the Lions because it's a divisional game because this, that and the other didn't happen. I think the problems in Green Bay are real right now. 
and we have to stop making excuses that it, it is significant. They are playing with a depleted roster and they are playing below their talent level. Minnesota are fine for the most part, but the, the thing that I think will make the difference here is that, and this is something I flagged last week, Minnesota's defense has been quietly very, very, very good this season uh, without being, you know, in a particularly flashy high profile, causing a load, load of turnovers way, but in a very quiet shutting down drives, not letting teams get time or space kind of way. And against the Green Bay team that has those problems on the O-line, has those problems with the receivers, and has those problems in the run game, Minnesota are, I just think, perfectly poised to do what Detroit did, but better. And Green Bay will struggle to get things going. Minnesota will be able to do enough through Peterson and Bridgewater and Stefan Diggs to, to basically put this one to bed and probably lock up their division. You say we've tried all of the excuses. I've come up with a few more. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't think this is a particularly great Green Bay team. Uh, but I do think, one, Aaron Rodgers is still probably the best quarterback in the game. Uh, I think that they have weapons. They've just not been using them correctly. I think the pressure is on because there's already talk about taking uh, taking play calling duties off the OC and giving them back to the head coach again, which, while I don't think is a great thing, maybe a change is better than nothing. This is a divisional game that can allow them to tie with the Minnesota Vikings atop that division. If they lose this, they drop two games behind and Minnesota have the tie break over them at that point. I think they're going to be fired up. I think Minnesota are going to be fired up. Green Bay will have to perform. And I think what we've seen in recent games is they can come back in second half and look with fire lit under them. I think they're going to start this game with a lot more fire lit under them than they have in other ones. Because honestly, I think this is a scenario of firings and a lot of shakeups if they don't start getting the shit back together. Yeah, like I think the, the one thing not to underestimate, they are, it's a very good looking defense. There's a lot of young people coming through. And like a lot of players are, like have really stepped up this, especially Nibble Joseph. They've had a good, they have a good defense. Like it's actually probably one of the better defense under the radar. We see right now that even Detroit was able to hit them there, Rogers. You can expect that a good defense will probably be able to, probably make more trouble for them, uh, akin to what happened in the Patrick game. Uh, the Green Bay Packers always have a chance for Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers can't like compensate for all of the losses that have occurred uh, in terms of offensive talent. Yeah, like the big thing that's going to decide this game is the revamped Green Bay defense because Fat Lacey is now their defensive tackle. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, space eater because he's eaten everything else. So uh, that'll that'll kind of do it for all the picks and stuff this week. Yeah, cheers, guys. So any any crack with yourselves? Oh, not much. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to hypnotic brass ensemble there in uh, in December. Oh yeah, uh, that's pretty good. I'm actually just trying to work out now what week of games we're going to have to catch up with on the Monday to uh, to make that work. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I think I think we're all probably thinking we might book the Monday off. Oh, yeah, have, so yeah. like I'd say I'd say we'll probably be good. We'll probably be good. We can catch up on it <laughs> while we're in recovery mode. I think Fitz, you're coming up for that, aren't you? Excellent, excellent, excellent. So we'll have a, we'll have the whole whole crew of us knocking around. That'll be good fun. Um, if you guys want to catch up with us, Sugar Club, 6th of December, Booker Brass Band and Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. It's going to be awesome, but also we're going to be there. Yeah, it'll be good fun. I suppose, as always, uh, we've got uh, we've got the Twitter and stuff set up now as well. So if you guys have any questions or comments, you want to tell us how shite we are or anything like that, uh, we're at uh, AFQ Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we've got Facebook.com slash AFQ Podcast. Obviously, we put up the new shows every Friday and everything. We have the question section for yourselves. And if you have anything you want to come in and chat us about, give us a shout. We might try and get you on a call in or something like that. Mostly not, because I presume most of you are cunts. But like, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Maybe some of you are all right. Uh, by the way, if you're a cunt, don't come to the Sugar Club. We don't want you there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, apart from uh, 
like now desperately saving money to go to France to see a football team that we only watch when they're successful. Uh, do we have any other plans for the next while? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you in a bit. <laughs>